Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I will be reading from Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 8 this morning. This is the Word of God. And when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on a ship to Adramatim, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from where we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia, and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There a centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. As the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off of Salomon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacia. Here is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Uh, we'll be looking this morning at all of chapter 27. I asked Mark just to read the first eight verses, and as I move along, we'll, we'll cover the entirety of the chapter. But before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer once again. Lord God, thank you again for your word. I ask this morning, as we look at this grand narrative, that we would receive your promises by faith, promises that cannot fail, and that we would receive an everlasting life afresh in our souls this day, and perhaps some for the very first time. Save the lost, sanctify the saints. Through your word we pray. Amen. We left off last Lord's Day with Paul's hearing before Festus and Agrippa, where we now read in verse 1, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. It is autumn of 59 AD. I'm given, as we are, a very um, detailed travel log of this um, tempestuous event. And how it is, okay, again, and how it is that God is going to fulfill his promise to Paul uh, when two years earlier, in chapter 23, verse 11, he said, as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must 
witness at Rome also. Okay, friends, we're reading history here, um, theological history, um, but it is history. Paul will testify of Jesus Christ in Rome, where from a Jerusalem perspective is the uttermost part of the earth, the capital of the empire. He must, so he will. And there's nothing in the world that will keep the Apostle Paul from testifying there. Not the greatest of storms, not the splintering of a ship, not um, a poisonous snake bite, which we'll see next time. Three life-threatening events demonstrating for us the Lord's protection and providential care over Paul. And by way of inference, his providential care over us. Something that we should take to heart this morning. Each and every one of us that is um, in this life, en route to the next. God's providential care for you, his, his people. When God makes a promise, nothing can thwart it. Nothing. And so this morning, I, I want us to consider three, three truths that come out of this text. Um, the first, we dare not miss, is the sovereign hand of God. The sovereign hand of Almighty God behind all of these events, which is on display, God's sovereignty, beloved, is not something that we hold to just merely, you know, theoretically. We embrace it. It is meant to be one of the most precious and practical truths to comfort us in times of trial, in times of tribulation, and trouble. God is absolutely sovereign over every detail of his created order. All of history belongs to him. He is sovereign. And we see his sovereign preordained plan worked out providentially. So the first thing we see is his providence. The second thing we see is his patience. That is, God patiently works out his plan <clears throat> on his timetable. We see providence. We, we see patience, the patience of God, that is. And thirdly, uh, we notice his purpose. God is on a mission that is carrying out his great commission through Paul, through Luke, through Aristarchus, who are alongside of the man. So we see his providence, the working out of his sovereignty. We see God's patience. We see God's purpose. God is on mission. He's always on a mission. That mission is being carried out, and it will reach its ultimate end, guaranteed. So, here we go. Once again, we notice uh, we, we have the first person plural, we. Verse 1, when it was decided that we would sail. We indicating that Luke is once again alongside of Paul. Paul, I mean Luke rather, is the, the author of the book of Acts. 
that will occur 16 times um, in the course of this chapter. Um, Luke is on the ship, which explains the very detailed account of the storm that's about to take place as we work our way through. Now, Luke was with Paul up until midway of chapter 21 when Paul was arrested in the temple courts. He was brought into Fort Antonia, and by the cover of night, by, by way of uh, many, many mighty men, he was taken to Caesarea, and Luke probably lived in the area of Caesarea during the two years that Paul spent in prison there, probably in this area, probably close by, um, but now um, he and um, Aristarchus are alongside Paul once again. These are faithful men. They love the Apostle Paul. And here they are. Oh, the joy of faithful men. I was with 13 of them yesterday. The elder deacon meeting. 13 faithful men. Not contentious, not troublemakers, but true. Faithful men. This is a long, monotonous journey. This is not a pleasure cruise here. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and here's Luke. Here's Aristarchus alongside Paul faithfully. And also um, on board are many other prisoners. Paul is a prisoner headed to Rome. And then in verses 2 through 4, um, the ship that they were initially sailing on was what's known as a coastal ship. Um, sailing under lee is under protection, is to, to sail under the protection of the coast, and that's where they are. Um, this, these small ships were structured to hug the coast. They, they couldn't bear the open sea. Um, they would likely capsize. So they're on a small vessel up until verse 6. When they land at Myra, they board an Alexandrian ship. That is a, 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 a grain ship. This is like an ocean liner. It would have been, uh, it's about 140 foot long, 36 feet wide with a 30 foot mast. And verse 37 informs us that there were 276 persons aboard that large vessel. You have experienced sailors, you have cargo, you have prisoners, you have soldiers led by Julius. This large vessel would have one main sail and then two long extended oars out the stern to guide the ship. 276 on board. So they start out on, on a safe coastal hugging vessel, we read that the winds were against them, verse 4, and now aboard this large ship from North Africa, Alexandria, Egypt, they're on this wheat-bearing ship. So they head out of Myra, they, 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 they coast along uh, the, the peninsula that, that juts out um, into the sea, and they're hit here by prevailing winds for many days, verse 7. The pilot sails southwest below Crete. I have a map for you. I'll show you in a moment when I call for it. Hold on. 
I'll call for it. Just a few minutes. Everybody looked up. I'm going to show you the map, but I just want to give you this in your mind first. So they go below Crete. They, they finally arrive at this little port called Fair Havens. Verse 9, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Okay, point one here is that Luke is informing us of the time of year. Okay, when the fast was already over. That is the fast, the day of atonement, which makes this mid-October. And from October to February, you didn't sail the Mediterranean. It's too dangerous. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul asked Timothy to come to Rome and visit him before what? Before winter. And to bring his cloak and parchments for this very reason. No one sailed at wintertime. It's too treacherous. So here now Paul gives a warning. He, he's not speaking by way of divine revelation. He's speaking by way of common sense. Wisdom, discernment. He's a, remember, Paul is an experienced seafarer. He has three missionary journeys under his belt. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he wrote from Macedonia... There he records that he had already been shipwrecked three times. This is number four. The brother knows what he's talking about. So Paul assesses the situation, discernment, wisdom. That's what we do in life, amen? We look at the situation, we pray, we pray for wisdom, we, we assess, we, we discern. Some people have more discernment than others. And, and then we decide. And he says, I say we don't go. Verse 11, but the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest out on the peninsula, and spend the winter there. In other words, Fair Havens was not an ideal place to spend winter. Phoenix was a more sheltered harbor, for, for one. And number two, Phoenix, or, or Phoenix, means date palm or palm tree. I'd rather spend the winter there, perhaps. James Boyce, the late great James Boyce, in his commentary on the book of Acts, said this, quote, Fair Havens was not a fair place. It must have been named by the Chamber of Commerce to try to get people to visit it, which they normally tried to avoid doing. <laughs> they must have said, anywhere but Fair Havens, there's nothing to do here at all. If we get stuck in Fair Havens, it's going to be a long, hard winter. They knew there was a nicer port further along the coast, a place called 
Phoenix. So these very salty sailors here are not going to listen to a preacher. And when a favorable south wind began to blow, they decided to take a chance and to go for it. It would have been about a three-hour tour. <laughs> for real. Three or four hours. <laughs> I did homework. It would have been three or four hours. Three-hour tour. Do not the majority always seem to be the experts? Be careful what the majority says out there. So they, they depart with high hopes. Verse 15, they lift anchor, and here this gentle breeze turns into a great Mediterranean storm. Verse 14, a, a violent wind, a, a, uh, your quio, a northeaster, a tempestuous wind, a, a typhoon. Uroquio it is, Uroquio. Who's sovereign over storms? Lord God Almighty. Lord God Almighty. Okay, now let's take a look at the map. Okay, I don't, my pointer doesn't work, so I'm going to point. Okay, so, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, taken to Caesarea, two years in prison. Here they take off, Sidon. They take the coastal hugging ship. Here's Myra. Here now is Alexandria, Egypt. The grain ship went from here to there. They change ships. They change vessels. They hug the coast. They come to Fair Havens. They say, we, we don't want to spend winter here. We'd rather spend winter in Phoenix. And they depart. And then verse 15. And when the ship was caught in it, it could not face the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda. We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. You see that small dot there under Crete? That's Clauda. After they had hoisted it up, scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control, that is the, the dinghy, that is the boat that, that, that is pulled along by this large vessel. You know, when they would come to land, they would anchor out, and this would serve as a transport boat um, to and from land. So um, they hoist it up, they use supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallow of um, Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. So they lift up this, this small um, transport craft. It was probably filling with water. They fight. They get it on deck and there's all this stress. They're fearful that the hull is going to split apart. So there were cables wrapped around these hulls and what they would do is they would winch them tight so it's like it encapsulates the boat with this, these ropes, cable, kind of like a little burrito. This is to undergird it. 
They let down the anchor. That's a term that can mean object. It can mean gear. This is likely what was known as a drift anchor to just kind of slow them down. Later, they'll drop four anchors. This is a drift anchor. So they're they're fighting, and we see um, verse 18, the next day, we were being violently storm-tossed. They began to jettison cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. I'll explain that in a moment. Verse 20, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. So they jettisoned the cargo. They obviously kept some for ballast and some for food. And the third day, with our own hands, they, they removed the tackle of, of the ship, which means um, the heavy mast rigging, all the heavy weighted things attached to this mast with their own hands, they dismantle and they throw overboard. So you see increased desperation from verse 18 to 19. And they're three days now from Fair Havens. Remember, there's no navigational instruments at this time, no compasses, no GPS. They navigated by way of the stars and the sun and obviously the coast. That's why they would hug the coast. But it's a storm. They can't detect where the sun is. They can't see the stars at night. They don't know where they are. They don't know what direction they're moving. So there comes a point in which they abandon all hope. We're going to perish. going to die. They're drifting. Why didn't God intervene? Now, it's understandable that God would cause a storm when, when the likes of one Jonah is running in the opposite direction of the commanded will of God, that he would strike up a storm to prevent him from going any further in disobedience. Paul's heading in the direction that God ordained that you will testify in Rome. And still, he encounters the strange providence of God. We could call it the dark providence of God in the path of obedience. So once again, Paul's being tested, to say the least, amen? He's put to the test. He just spent two years in prison in Caesarea. And finally, ah, we're, we're, on, and we're on route. Boom, storm. Beloved, do not be surprised. Even when you're doing the right thing, you're walking according to the commanded will of God by faith, you're moving in the right direction, and all of a sudden there are trials and there are tribulations and there are disturbances, difficulties that, that affect your path. Don't be surprised. So we see the providence of God, and here again we see now the patience of God, and these events and in getting Paul to where he wants Paul to be is according to his timetable. I was thinking about this this week, things I've been praying for and hoping and waiting for, and it's like, when? 
right? And then he ministers to my soul by way of the word. It's his timetable. Verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Oh, those famous words, I told you so. <laughs> For some people, that's their life verse, right? You read those irritating, I told you so. You're like, come here and let me hug you. <laughs> Paul says simply, you should have listened to me. I told you this would happen. I'm experienced at this as well. But Paul's common sense wisdom was vindicated by the storm, amen? But, you know, although Paul said, I told you so, he doesn't stop, he doesn't pout, he, he doesn't join the uh, abandoned hope club here, but he leads like a man. You know what leaders do? They don't hold titles merely, they lead. They lead. And, and, and beyond the providential value of this passage, as it reveals Almighty God Himself, it also reveals Paul the man. A mighty man of God. You can tell what a man is in a crisis and what he's not. It is said that the true metal of a man comes forth in the fires of testing. Verse 22. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on a certain island. You know, part of the reason that Paul stands out in this desperate situation is his confidence and trust in the God to whom he belongs. You ever refer to yourself that way? Or God that way? Or both? The God to whom I belong. You belong to the Lord, Christian. Amen? The God to whom I belong. That is the one mediator between God and man. The God-man. Christ Jesus. Do you belong to him? Okay. Nevertheless, I want you to notice, we need to recognize that, that there must have been a moment in this voyage where Paul himself was overcome with an anxiety and fear because of that little detail in verse 24. With the angel saying what? Do not be what? 
do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Paul. A great reminder that even the strongest of Christians have moments of fear amidst trouble. Do not be afraid. And that's where the body of Christ needs to have their eyes opened, amen? To have our eyes open, to come alongside one another, hold one another up in prayer in times of, of storms. And let me say this, you all, you do an incredible job at that. Fantastic. To, to watch you all minister to one another week in in week out. Now, we may not face a literal storm here like Paul, but we do face ferocious emotional and spiritual storms. Amen? Every single one of us in this room, and they can sweep in from nowhere. A medical report. A dreaded phone call. Every single one of us here can give an example of some experience, some circumstance where we have been afraid. Perhaps about our children, our job, God's provision, a disruption there, a loss of a job, and things like that, or that you have cancer. We must remember when these things happen, we also belong to the God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. You know, I quoted from James Boyce earlier. When James Boyce was writing his commentary on the book of Acts, he was overcome by cancer and died two years later. Not abandoned, not forsaken, but taken. Verse 25, he says, keep up your courage, man, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But, verse 26, we must run aground on a certain island. That is according to plan. We must because that's God's plan. There we see providence, the providence of God. There we see the patience of God. All to God's purpose, verse 24, you must stand before Caesar. You must stand. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. They're all going to survive, Paul. Verse 27, but when the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, by the way, that's not the modern Adriatic Sea. It's the Mediterranean. The Adriatic Sea back then was, was, went down to the, mid, the middle of the Mediterranean. So when you look at a map, it's not the modern-day Adriatic Sea. It's the, it's the Mediterranean. About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little, fur, a little farther... Uh, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. So the water is getting more shallow. 
They know and realize they're, they're drawing near to land somewhere, so they take a sounding, 20 fathoms, then 15 fathoms. A fathom is six feet, so it goes from 120 feet to 90 feet. So in order to protect themselves, they drop four anchors to slow the progress of the ship in fear of crashing into the rocks. You, I don't think you can make a movie like this. <laughs> well, that perfect storm was pretty good, though. Remember that? I don't know if you watch movies, but sometimes I do. The perfect storm. <laughs> so now, notice this now. While some, notice, while some are dropping anchors off the stern of the ship, some sailors, these are not prisoners, by the way, these are sailors, salty dogs, pretending to be helping, try to escape, right? Dropping the dinghy in order to get away. So much for going down with the ship. Amen? What is the captain supposed to do? You go down with the ship. But verse 30, as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat, and they let it fall away. Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. And all 276 will survive. This is a conditional warning. Verse 31, it's a conditional warning. Unless, unless the men remain, you cannot be saved. Okay, the condition is unless you stay. The condition is the means by which God's will will be done. Amen? The warning serves as a means to his end. It's the fulfillment of what the angel had told Paul back in verse 24. That was the promise. The means to his end. Just like there's no contradiction between divine election and human responsibility. Amen? The call to repent and believe is a means to God's end. Men are called to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and guess what? God's elect in time will inevitably and eventually obey the command to repent and believe. A means to God's end. A conditional warning. You know, Charles Spurgeon was once asked if he could reconcile divine, divine, responsibility, or divine sovereignty and human responsibility. He said this, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. God enables, in other words, those he divinely ordains to be saved. The command serves as a means to his end, amen? Same is true right here. It's a conditional warning. Unless the men remain, you yourselves cannot be saved. Verse 33. 
Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Can you imagine this? 14 days. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. So these men for 14 days have not eaten. Why? Probably because they're so seasick they can't hold anything down. That's one reason. And also, with a limited supply, having you know, jettisoned much of the cargo, um, they, they kept what they kept. And here, after 14 days, Paul says, you're going to need your strength. Common sense. Amen? You're going to need your strength. Take some food, because tomorrow is going to be a trying day. Oh, and the last 14 weren't trying. <laughs> You'll need strength. So he thanks God. They eat. And basically, these men say, you know what? If he can do it, we can do it. Another sign of leadership right there. One dedicated believer can change the atmosphere, beloved, of an entire situation that is going downhill. One believer. You know, sometimes storms come into our lives so that people around us who aren't believers will look past the situation and to Christ. They're trying to determine, where are you looking? Why are you so calm? Verse 39. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach. And they resolved to drift the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable." But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. Imagine this, just crashing and crashing and breaking and cracking. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. I wonder how many were able to swim in the first place here. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. Now, if prisoners were to escape, it was the soldiers who would be punished for losing their inmates. Sometimes unto death. Sometimes the penalty was death. So their solution to the dilemma here, 
just, just in case some try to escape, let's just kill them all. But again, that one Christian, now there was Luke and there was Aristarchus, but because of Paul, because Paul made such an impression on the centurion, he wanted to save Paul's life and refused, therefore, that any of them be taken by the sword. Again, what do we see? Providence, according to God's sovereign plan, God's patience, because of God's purpose. So notice in verses 36 to 44, God keeps his promise, amen? He keeps his promise. But does he keep it smoothly, without ruffle, without wrinkle? Does he? No, but he keeps his promise. From the moment they boarded that ship to the point in which the ship broke up, broke apart here on the island of Malta, there was no miracle. There was no divine intervention of the miraculous kind. There was no voice of the master in the midst of the tempest who said, peace, be still. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, fast asleep on a fishing vessel on the Sea of Galilee, and his disciples say, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up and he speaks to the storm. It's calm as glass. We don't see that here. But remember verse 24, look at it. An angel of God said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. We get down to verse 44. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land but not without trouble, not without trial. God promised that Paul will testify in Rome, so Paul clung to the promise in the midst of the tempest. God has promised us as Christians that we will go to heaven. God has promised believers those who trust in Jesus Christ, that we will inherit eternal life. But he has not promised you that on your way to heaven, you're going to be free from troublesome circumstances. Witness? He exempts you from sin. I got this from Spurgeon this week. He exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. He promises, delivered as you are from eternal torment, but not from temporal earthly struggles. See, this account serves as as, as a kind of microcosm to, to to the bigger picture. That's what we see here. God has promised that in Christ alone you will go to heaven knowing by whom you will enter. Christ in Christ alone. But how? Life down here? We're not told. We know through whom, but how, as far as the road to get there goes, we're not told. For some Christians along the way, you will be clinging to pieces of the boat, pieces of wood. 
to get to the shore of the celestial city, parts of the boat. This is a picture of how we get there. But you're going to get there because God said you're going to get there. He promises you're going to get there. He promised Paul you're going to get to Rome. You must testify before Caesar. You will stand before the Lord according to his grace. Not for judgment, but into glory. This is a picture of that. It's like Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Amen? Kids, you remember our movie, Pilgrim's Progress? Remember, remember all the trials and troubles and ups and downs that, that Pilgrim experienced along the way? Life is kind of touch and go. Trouble comes, trouble goes. And even when you're surrounded by people, devious people, who, who are pretending to be laying out anchors, verse 29, and they're trying to steal the lifeboat to get away. People like that. Devious people. God does not insulate us from trials, but he has guaranteed you will make it home. That's what we see here. God has not promised you'll have an easy life. I wish it were easy. Don't you wish? Don't you wish? Is that not what you pray for? Lord, would you just take this away? Take this thing away. I'm tired of this thing. I wake up every morning praying about this thing because it lays like a weight upon me all night long. If I wake up, it's the first thing I think about. You ever experience that? Then we're in the same club. We're on the highway, headed home. Guaranteed. You will get there. Guaranteed. Because of him who came. He who came. He who labored. He who suffered. He who died, he who rose, he, he who ascended, and he who is presently right now interceding for you, meaning he stands, at the right, he's right there at the right hand of God the Father, representing you, forever representing you. And all along the way, you can cling by faith to that promise of eternal life. And do you notice here, because of the presence of Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul here in this account Everyone on the boat will survive because of the presence of the apostle Paul. What a picture that is of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, I should say to Jesus Christ, God has made a promise that all who are in him have eternal life. They'll make it to the shore. They will make it home. And, and God made this promise to Paul, and because of this promise given to Paul, his representative on this boat in the midst of turbulence, all 275 others will make it with him. So Paul serves as kind of a picture of Christ for us. The beautiful picture. You know, you take away one man from world history, the God-man, Jesus Christ, and God has absolutely no purpose for us whatsoever except to damn us to hell. But God in Christ, amen? So God the Father, he has made a promise to his beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ. That means there is hope, there is certainty of salvation for all who are in him by faith, resting and trusting in him alone, even if that means jettisoning all things in life to cling to him to get home. Amen? That's what you have in Christ. And those of you in Christ, that's what we're reminded of 
by way of the gospel made visible at the table um, of the Lord this morning. Now, if you're here and you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't belong to him. You don't have this guarantee. That is to enter God's presence when you breathe your last, to be, brought, to, be, to be safely brought into the promised land, into heaven, into the presence of almighty God. You don't have that guarantee, but you may have him. You may have him. If you recognize today by the grace of God that the Lord Jesus Christ died for sinners and the fact that you are a sinner, to know by grace you are a sinner, Christ died for sinners, um, Christ made atonement, the price has been paid in full. To come to that understanding, to repent and flee to him by faith you too shall be saved. Regardless of what storms you face, you're guaranteed entry into his presence. Repent and believe and you too shall be saved. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this um, beautiful account. Very treacherous situation. A lot of trouble along the way. But um, again and again, we, we were reminded of your promise I'm given to call Paul, I'm carried out providentially, um, patiently by you, because you have a purpose, and that is that your kingdom continue to be um, extended until you return. So Lord, help us to glean from this, to be encouraged by this, um, for all those struggling this day in the midst of trials and troubles, in the trials that will yet come. Um, give us faith to endure. Enable us, Lord. Hold us up. And may, may we know that you're holding us up so that we can endure another day and cling to the promises of old. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray.